4: Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke F Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the home bunker. You know, folks, over the last couple of years, since the beginning of COVID until now, the return to work, There have been so many conversations and so many headlines that are looking at how we work and what kinds of conditions we've allowed ourselves to tolerate because that's just, quote unquote, the way things are. And from the great resignation to the condemnation that comes at Generation Z for being, quote unquote, lazy They don't want to work hard. I've recognized something, which is that every generation has its fight when it comes to how we work. Prior generations believed that you just keep your head down, you take the abuse, and that's how you ascend the corporate ladder. What I recognize is that younger people have seen their parents and their grandparents be treated in a certain type of way. They've grown up with a lot of information and are just like, why would I work for this person? Why would I work for this company? Why would I work for this place that demeans me, that makes me feel small, where I feel like I'm living to work, right? And, you know, as somebody who has had the great fortune over the last few years to work for myself, and it is not without its struggles. It's not without its headaches. Like, for instance, you know, we have the marketplace here in New York that allows me to get healthcare, but the healthcare is pretty shitty, right? And that if I were employed by an organization or a company, then I would have great healthcare, depending on the organization or the company that I was working with. But it sure as fuck would be better than what I'm paying for out of pocket. But there is a level of autonomy. There is a level of, you know, ease in which I am able to work these days that wasn't the case for five years ago. So for me, I have made certain trade-offs in being an entrepreneur, in being independent while I watch some of my friends make tons of money because they're in corporate jobs but some of them are really miserable. And I think that what we learned during our time at the height of COVID, which is our time is not promised, right? Like life can literally go in the blink of an eye. And so how do we really want to be spending our time? And if we're supposed to be in these jobs eight to 10 hours a day, Shouldn't there be some joy, shouldn't there be some humanity that is centered in them? And I'm not saying that work needs to be like one of your hobbies, but it shouldn't, absolutely should not be a place that causes emotional and physical duress. And so the conversation that I have today, bringing back our friend Kim Kelly, the author of Fight Like Hell, The Untold Story of American Labor, to talk about the strikes that are ongoing, the Hollywood strikes with the writers and the actors, the UPS strike that was just diverted because the unions and the company came to an agreement that would provide UPS workers raises and air conditioning in their fucking trucks, right? Because, you know, think about the UPS delivery person who is working in say, Oh, I don't know, Texas, Arizona, Florida, any of these places, California, that have seen extreme heat and they're in an unair conditioned car for eight to 10 hours a day. Right. So when we look at the way that unions are having a moment again to try and create conditions that are livable, right? For workers. And we think about the last three years and a lot of places having gone to hybrid work, right? Having downsized their commercial real uh, offices and have allowed workers to work partly at home because guess what? The great resignation came because people were just like, yeah, I don't really have to do this job in an office five days a week away from my family, away from friends, like locked in this cubicle and not able to actually live my life, like go for a walk, run an errand, make some food in the middle of my day. Now, we know that just being fully remote doesn't work for a lot of people. It works for me because I feel like I talk to people all day long every single day. So I don't actually need to be in physical contact. The conversations that I have every day, all day are enriching enough, but that's me, right? And so the conversation that I have today with Kim Kelly is talking about work, talking about Generation Z, and whether or not we are in the midst of a true movement, a true dynamic shift, or if this is just another fleeting moment. That conversation with Kim Kelly is coming up next. Folks, I am so excited to welcome back to Woke AF Kim Kelly, who is just an all-around badass when it comes to understanding American labor workers' rights, is the author of Fight Like Hell, The Untold History of American Labor, um, and is a freelance journalist Kim, it's like this summer um, has been the summer in a lot of way of strikes or potential strikes in a lot of ways we have seen, um, you know, from three years ago, how COVID began the initial shift and how people work, how they see themselves as workers, how they see themselves appreciated or not as workers And then now we are looking at a historic strike that is happening in Hollywood, where writers and actors for the first time, I think, in 40 years have linked arms um, to demand better from the studios and the networks. You had a UPS strike that was diverted. I think there is still a vote that is happening in that space. But there was an agreement that was reached, and that was going to be devastating, uh, to the country in terms of um, deliveries. So I just want to open up with what is your feeling? What is the vibe that is happening right now in the American workforce?
5: People are fed up. Yeah. Now I think we're, it's, it's funny because I'm certainly not an, uh, an economist, so I would not even venture to try and understand all of that. But you keep seeing so many stats and, like, very liberal blogs about how the economy is doing great. We're doing great. Everyone, every, all the numbers are good. But regular people, working-class people, aren't feeling that. You know, we're still feeling the pinch. Groceries are still expensive. Rent's too damn high. Like, as much as, you know, the government numbers might look nicer to some people than they did a year or two ago, that's not filtering down to regular human beings. And I think mm-hmm. so much of what's driving... this wave of strikes that we're seeing is that it's too too expensive to be alive in this country right now. Too much money, too much capital, too many resources have filtered up to the people at the top. The, you know, CEOs and corporations and rich politicians. And I'm sure like half of it went to Elon Musk while I was just talking right now. Like there's just this gaping inequality. It's, It's impossible to ignore at this point. And like you mentioned earlier early in the pandemic, there was, I think, a very real shift in the way that people saw the value of their lives and their labor. And we had the essential worker discourse. We had the the great resignation, as it was called, when people were like, oh, I can maybe get a better job all of a sudden because the government actually helped out for like five minutes. You know, I think this shift is still very much in play. I think there's not really any putting that lightning back in a bottle. I think that the way workers are seeing things now, especially after seeing all of the gains that have been made and the big contracts that are being secured, the big organizing efforts we're seeing, you know, all eyes were on the teamsters for a while. I feel like that story was covered very closely. Mm-hmm. And the rhetoric that we heard from their leadership and from rank and file workers about, you know, nothing gets done without us. We need, to win a historic contract we need so much better we need basic uh health considerations like air conditioning i think just putting that into the public consciousness as much as it was that helped too and you know we're at this moment where a lot of people are on strike a lot of very visible workers are on Mm -hmm. strike Mm -hmm. you mentioned the hollywood on strike situation that is like that is a big deal not just because it's you know my union's one of the unions involved I I think one thing that is really kind of tipping the scale is that so many of these big strike actions we're seeing are hyper visible. Like mm-hmm. the Hollywood one, that's getting tons of attention, as it should. And people are paying attention to, you know, these the funny protest signs or the celebrities doing this or the studio bosses saying incredibly evil stuff in a very public way. Like that's a big, easy one to pay attention to. Meanwhile, you have Starbucks workers in multiple cities off on a bus tour and and launching strike actions all the time. It's all very public and immediate, so I think folks that maybe necessarily wouldn't be reading labor stories or looking out for strike news you kind of can't avoid it, and I think that's having an impact on people's you know just ability to imagine what is possible for themselves like if all these people are out on strike. And they're not making that much money. And they're not, you know, that privileged. Sure, in the, in the Writers Guild, and the Screen Actors Guild, some of them are doing fine. But even they're the minority. Like, most people are struggling. And I just think I, having that, was that the, hammered home.
4: Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say about, about the writers. That was the thing that I learned through the strike, that the average writer is making like $69,000 a year. Right. Like we only as as consumers really only know the big names. Right. But then folks were just like, honestly, when you think about your, you know, the movies that you like or the shows that you like, do you really know who is writing those? You know, do you remember those names? Um, and then to think that they're making a far cry. Let Like we see Hollywood as this glitz and glamour and red carpets. And it's an entire engine of people that are literally being grinded so that you can see the glitz and glamour, right, that is sprinkled around. Like those are people like, you know, uh, 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 inability to like to be homeowners, their inability to like really provide for themselves and their family in a stable way. And I think that this strike in particular has really changed how people see this industry, um, you know, as a whole. And I, I, I guess on that on that note, you're talking about how public things have been, and that in this moment, people are just like fed up. What is it about this moment in particular? Do you think that are having people fed up?
5: Well, every like I mentioned before, I think it's just too expensive to live. Like it, it, things are harder than they should be, you know, like. We see companies every day announcing record profits or so-and-so buying another yacht or so-and-so making another dirty deal with some CEO. And meanwhile, people, you know, can't afford childcare, can't afford groceries, can't afford rent. You know, with their writer's strike, most of our members live in L.A. or New York, you know, famously cheap places to live. I mean, <laughs> it's, I think it really just comes down to that very basic feeling of, This is bullshit. Like, things that we're told we're living in this age of great prosperity, great economic, you know, solvency, things are going great. But why am I not seeing that? Why is my neighbor not seeing that? Why is my mother not seeing that? It just seems like there's a great disconnect between what we're being told to celebrate about, you know, the state of the union and what people are actually feeling. Like, yeah. Mozzarella is still like seven bucks a ball at the Acme in South Philly, and that impacts me. You know, and I'm doing better than some people are. It's, I think, it, just the, the the rampant inequality in this country has gotten to such a brutal point that even folks who do work and have solid jobs are feeling the pinch in a way that is impossible to ignore.
4: Yeah, I think that you're. I mean, you're totally right in so many ways, and and I, I want to get your thoughts on. I mean it's like listening to some of these studio executives who spoke like in in interviews at the Billionaires Camp, right? Bob Iger, Bob Iger from Disney, interviewed at the Billionaires Camp and saying that the desires of the unions are unrealistic, that what it is that they what it is that they are asking for is unrealistic. This is a man I just want to say Again, he makes seventy five thousand dollars a day. He just had an <laughs> extension on his contract with CBS and Disney for another, I think, two or three years, right? Because he came in to quote unquote save the day. He had signed that contract in two for two or three years at twenty six million dollars, right? And so he's it's extended, so he's getting another twenty six or twenty, you know, whatever it's- million dollars. So we're talking about. The average writer making $69,000 a year and this CEO who makes $75,000 a day telling folks that the requests that they have are unrealistic. What do do you say to that?
5: (laughs) There's a lot of ways to (laughs) lose your house. (laughs) Oh man, what a miscalculation. Well, I think it's not even when people like that say things like that, they don't think, I don't think they think it through in a way like, Oh, this might make people mad at me. This might inflame the strikers. I think that they actually believe these things. They believe they are entitled to all of that wealth. They believe they're indispensable. They're the ones doing all the hard work. What are all these little people complaining about? I think they, they just, maybe you just lose your humanity once you become that rich. Mm. Because I cannot think of any other way that you could get like that and say something like that or to say like, we would rather starve them out than acquiesce to their incredibly reasonable demands and lose a couple million here and there of our profit. Like, who do you think is doing all the work? You, you would not have those millions. You would not have that nice house. You would not have that gold plated, you know, healthcare plan without the people on the picket lines right now who are losing their healthcare, care. Like, it is just, I mean, I, I don't understand what is wrong with these people fundamentally. Yeah. It's the same mentality that we heard from coal bosses in the Deep South who were trying to starve out coal miners last year in Brookwood, Alabama. It's just this, it's just so ugly. And it's so mm-hmm. disconnected. Like, you, like the, this great man syndrome, perhaps. Like, oh, nothing, none of this would happen without me you are the only person in this scenario who could be automated out of existence with AI in a reasonable way. Like you don't do anything. You make decisions about other people's lives. And for this, you're paid like the GDP of a small nation. (laughs) I think that is part of what is fueling so much of the righteous anger. It's like, not only are the studios and their heads refusing to, Bargain in really in genuine good faith. They're refusing to listen to their workers' concerns. They're refusing to acknowledge their workers. They're acting as though these workers, who create all the value, are a bunch of whiny little brats.
4: Yeah, yeah. Like how yeah.
5: dare you? You mess. How dare you? And it's like, bro, who you are nothing without them. And it's unfortunate it took a historic strike to get them to really kind of realize. Like, oh boy.
0: Could
1: just be a me Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, rated R under 17 not a Without Parent only in theaters May 17th.
0: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. but consider this: there's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the US. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined.
3: right rug flooring
4: you mention ai and i want to talk about that for a moment too because i mean i have done several interviews in uh, around ai and you know us building the tools for our own destruction is essentially like where where we're headed uh, and i know that people are like oh well it's great like it helps me do this and it helps me do that and i'm like do you never read sci-fi like have you never <laughs> seen like one movie? Have you not listened to the creators of AI that have said that AI is incredibly dangerous in the world? Like, are we not paying attention? But we are a nation of people who don't pay attention. But one of the things that was said, and again, just sticking on Hollywood for a moment, was, oh, we can get AI to do this. We'll come in. We'll, you know, to photograph your face. We'll be able to use it into perpetuity. We'll be able to have you know, to program said AI to create, you know, the next friends or the next, you know, living single or the next like whatever. And, you know, and you'll be out of a job. So you should be thankful and kissing our feet that you have one right now because we see your replacement in the next five to 10 years. So what do you make of how the weaponization of technology to go against the actual human creative content creator and builder.
5: It's so you think humanity would learn from their past mistakes. Uh, I think my my friend Brian Merchant uh, just wrote a really brilliant new book uh, called Blood and the Machine, all about the Luddite uprisings in England. And like it was like the 17th or 18th century way back and it was so similar to what's happening right now in broad strokes because there was a class of talented uh, workmen, like artisans, weavers and spinners, people that created the, the the thread and the fabric that became clothes that, you know, they had a whole cottage industry. People had good jobs. They had a, a, a whole cultural tradition of doing these jobs. And then machines came in. And the factory owners started bringing these machines and cutting their workforce and taking away these people's jobs. And the way that those workers responded was by smashing the machines and launching an entire movement to destroy the machines that were destroying their way of life. And it took the entire force of the, the British government to put that rebellion down. And I'm not saying we need to be going into where, you know, tech offices and smashing their algorithms, but I'm not not saying it, you know, just because we can, does not mean we should We should come on. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, so I like, you don't even need to be a, a, a uh, like a voracious sci-fi reader to know, you know, you can't always trust robots. That's, that's the whole thing. Like we, that's one thing we could generally agree on as a deeply divided people. You can't always trust the robots. So why would you hand over your entire, Industry, your entire livelihood, your entire just way of being to a like a, a human creation because they don't because they don't
4: require healthcare because yeah, they don't, don't require you don't have to have HR don't have to feed a you don't have to you don't have to feed a robot you don't have to abide by hours right just, like yeah. but it's just like when I think about this and you, I mean you can look at any any goddamn movie right any read any any novel it's like. When you automate, right, every single thing, and you put people out of work, who the fuck do you think is buying those goods with the lack of resources that they have, right? So you are mass producing all of this shit, and you've put millions of people out of work.
5: Who is buying it? Right? It's like the, the there's so many moves to automate. We've seen already in factories throughout the Midwest. We see the trucking industry dealing with this as a threat. There are so many jobs that have disappeared because of automation, because of technology. I, th- I saw some some jackass on Twitter saying, you know, we lost the, 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 the job of telephone operator because now we automate it. And isn't that a good thing? And like, I don't know, maybe, but maybe not. Like, just because we have the technological ability to change things... We need to make sure that we're focusing on the human aspect first, because otherwise, who is it for? And like you said, who's going to be able to buy all of this this cheaply produced content, these cheaply produced goods, if no one has a job anymore? It's just very, it feels very short-sighted, even in the most cynical, capitalistic way. Like, if you want to to have a market to exploit. If you want a product to sell to people, if you want there to be consumers for you to make money off of, they need to have money. And they're not going to have any money if they don't have a job because that's the way things are set up. Like by embracing AI and automation to the, the extent that they seem to be hinting at, they're just kind of automating themselves out of a market too. So who even wins besides the robots?
4: Yeah. What do you think? Kim like where do we where do you see workers across industries because we're seeing shortages everywhere, shortages in teaching right? Well, we know that we don't pay teachers anything and now we expect them to have combat specialty right and be able to do a tourniquet on a kid that was shot and you know to turn their whiteboard into a, a bulletproof uh safe room like we're expecting all of these things but not giving and giving teachers any more money. So there's a massive shortage that we are seeing across the country. the same way that COVID tapped out the medical and the health industry with people being like, yeah, I don't actually wanna do this anymore, right? It is a thankless, in many ways, had turned into a thankless kind of position and job. And so, and recognizing that this pandemic that we've had is probably not going to be the last one, given as how we've seemed to learn nothing Right. Over the last three years. And so when you see these different pockets, right, whether it's health, whether it's education, whether it's entertainment, whether it is, you know, uh, truck drivers and factory workers and all of these similar things, like where what do you think can good, I should say, can come from this moment,
5: in terms of okay, I love I love to look on the bright side, but that one took me a second. But I think the best yeah. the, <laughs> right because shit's grim. But <laughs> I I think the most valuable lesson that we're learning or that people are learning about themselves is that they deserve better. You know the that they should not have to put up with this shit. That they should not be expected to you know pull a full victorian orphan and say please sir may I have some more for like Mm -mm. their five dollar paycheck after some parents spit in their face for teaching history you know (laughs) like i think it goes back to people being fed up because they they know that they're worth more than this and they deserve better and i think that is something that is fueling this this rise in organizing and striking and you know, worker organizing outside of the union structure? Because people realize that I shouldn't be expected to live like this. I am valuable. My skills are valuable. My personhood is valuable. And I'm not being treated as though those things are true. So what can I do about that? And for a lot of people, it seems like that answer has been, okay, let me talk to my coworkers. Let me talk to my neighbors. Let me talk to some folks on my block and try and organize and change that. Because I think so many people have just been beaten down and isolated and felt as though they don't yep. matter. And one of the only like existing mechanisms we have to combat that is organizing and building collective power and taking care of our neighbors and our coworkers. Cause we know nobody else is, they just want to automate us out of existence and make it as if we never were here in the first place. Uh-huh. So I think yeah. that's what gives me hope that people are realizing just how much their worth and how much better they deserve
0: Me
1: Focus features presents back to black.
0: I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles.
1: Experience the music and her story.
0: Know this. I ain't no spy scale.
1: Like never before.
0: as my daughter. as my Amy
1: On the big screen.
0: I want to be remembered
2: Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
4: You know, my last question for you is about Generation Z, right? Mm. The generation uh, that is just leaving college, leaving vocational schools, and entering into the workforce. And there's a lot that's being said about Gen Z. Oh, they don't want to work. Oh, they're lazy. Oh, they're entitled. Oh, they're this that and the other thing. And I realize that now given the age that I am, that happens to pretty much every fucking generation, right? <laughs> the older generation right? has some hot shit to say Remember about their toast? yeah, about about their <laughs> about their entry. And avocado toast and all the, and all the shit. And I wonder, you know, because they are coming in with so much access to information, with so much understanding of technology, with a world where they're going to be the generation that is less better off than their parents and their grandparents, what do you make of their understanding of labor and capitalism? and how that is going to shift culture in, 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 in the workforce.
5: I think they're right. I don't want to work either. Nobody wants to work. (laughs) I mean, I'm immensely lucky and privileged in that I enjoy the, the work that I do, but there's still some downsides, you know, and seeing that this, this younger generation, God, it hurts to not be the younger generation anymore, but, I'm so, <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm so proud of them and inspired by them and fascinated by them because it seems like the increased access to information and fluidity with digital systems and technology, that's that's an asset, right? Like having a worker come into your place of employment who is not, going to allow themselves to be trampled on or harassed who's going to advocate for their rights and their coworkers' rights who can open the pdf for you and are willing to learn like that seems like an ideal worker for me we we are far past this idea of you know the you work in one place your entire life and you retire yeah. with a gold watch and a pension who who that's a fairy tale at this point those jobs aren't there and if they are they're not there for the vast majority of us they for, I don't know, guys named Jeff who went to Harvard. And I don't really care what happens to those guys. The thing that I really love about Gen Z, too, that I see online, which is really where I interact with them because I fear them, is, <laughs> you know, is just how loudly and unequivoc- unequivocally they've embraced labor and organizing. Yeah, and really the way that they've – honed in on how intersectional so much this organizing needs to be. You know, the same kids, well, not kids, the same young people who are organizing their workplaces are also marching for racial justice. They're also calling out the Supreme court for, mm-hmm. you know, destroying our lives constantly Are also you know, standing up for their queer and trans co-workers whenever possible. Like it's all so connected. That's something that I tried to convey in my book. That's something that I think really fuels this current moment in labor, at least the the good parts the yeah the parts that are moving, you know, just realizing how connected we all are that 's something that is not unique to the younger generation, but it seems much more common among them, realizing that you know abortion is a worker's issue, trans rights are a worker's issue, you know it's all everything's a worker's issue, the climate crisis is definitely a worker's issue, yep. I think it takes a little bit more effort sometimes to to make those connections when you're a little more set in your ways or you've been doing things for a long time or you just don't have as many younger friends who are chronically online. And that's okay. That's why we talk to each other and we organize between generations. But Gen Z, they're they're fucking rad, man. Like <laughs> I I'm I'm excited to see what they do.
4: Yeah, I, I you know, I feel the same way. I'm very excited to see what they do. I think that, you know, they have the best of every generation like in terms of their intellectual capacity, their emotional capacity, their empathy, um, and their really understanding of interlocking systems. And so what they choose to do with the information that is so readily at their fingertips, I think will be something you know, a sight to see. And they've already begun to shift culture in terms of, yeah, I don't want to work like this, right? Like, I don't want to work in this oppressive, you know, fashion and, you know, and and we shouldn't have to, right? And so just because you did it in a generation before me, um, this is the rite of passage shouldn't be worker abuse. And that's what a lot of us, I think, have experienced Throughout our time, if we really think back and we're just like, oh, wow, I was aggressively taken advantage of when I was 25 years old. Right. And didn't know anything about, you know, uh, about the organization or the company that I was in. Right. And so given that it's like, well, I went through it. You should go through it. And it should be like, no, we should actually want better.
5: Yeah. By that same argument, we should all be working in unventilated garment factories with locked doors for 14 hours a day not all of us have to do that anymore and I think unless you that live is in alabama good. because yeah, or la or, or yeah here's yeah. The, yeah that's the thing everything old is new again right mm-hmm. but at least just like child labor which i'll have you back on to talk about that oh some my way. god which never mm-hmm. went away either you know sometimes it's hard to hold on to my uh my posse vibes but I do think that the younger generation and the one below them because what Gen Alpha yep. they're like they're like people now like they're yeah, they'll be
4: they're 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 roughly like they're 10 years I think away from the workforce do you know what I'm oh saying like gosh. in a in a substantial way like Gen Alpha are tweens right now right so in 10 years right they'll be 21
5: And that is going to be a whole different world, hopefully in a good way, probably in a bad way. But at least they know that their parents and I guess their grandparents will have put some work in to try and make it better.
4: Inshallah. We'll see. (laughs) Kim Kelly, it is always such a pleasure when I get to have you on Woke app. I appreciate you so very much. Please tell the people where they can follow you.
5: I am regrettably still on Twitter. (laughs) at Groom kim i have a patreon i have uh my book is coming out in paperback at the end of the month on august 29th i'm doing a couple book events in new york and philly then on the west coast and uh yeah i like many members of my generation i am aggressively online so just give Amazing. a little whistle you'll find me
4: <laughs> awesome thank you so much appreciate you
5: thank you for having me it's always a pleasure
4: That is it for me today, dear friends, on Woke AF. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck.
3: Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee.